0: Hey friends, we got a special message today from our friend John Bevere. I asked him during our revival week that was happening in the month of February if he would be interested in coming to preach in the month of March just to stir the momentum of what God's doing in our church. We're sensing just this hunger and this desire to go deeper with God, this intense reverence to want his presence more in our lives, and our church, and everything we do. And so when I called him, he was like, absolutely, love you, Paul. He's a part of our spiritual advisory group and he has a message for our church, for you today, that I believe is gonna encourage you, inspire you, and remind you that we are nothing without God. We must pursue his presence and pursue his will, his heart for our lives. Let's get right into the message from John Bevere. Check it out. Amen and amen and amen. You can be seated. What an, Thank you so much
1: for your ministry. What a powerful time of worship. I am so happy to be in my home church in Tulsa. Hello, family. I love this church so much because I love the family that leads this church. Right from the beginning when I began coming in the 1990s with Pastor Billy Joe and Sharon at the helm, I remember just how much both of them impacted my life. The genuineness, the sincerity and the passion they had for Jesus and for people. And then I've known Paul, Pastor Paul, since high school. I was so delighted to see when he married Ashley. What a great lady he married. And I am so proud of this couple. I gotta say, I gotta speak as uncle or maybe even a daddy in the house. I am so proud of you. I'm so thankful that you have kept the heart that your parents had the passion for Jesus, the love for people, the genuineness that you guys walk in, the humility that you walk in, but you're doing it in a new and a fresh way and that's what God wants and I love that because we go from glory to glory, from faith to faith, amen? And so I love you so much and it's such an honor to be able to speak into your life and be like uh, on your spiritual advisory board. I just wanna say that, I believe we're on the verge of one of the greatest moves of God this earth has ever seen, and I'll speak more to that in just a second. I know a lot of you, you've seen me come year after year after year, others of you, you're like, who is this guy? Just relax, I'm Uncle John, I'm part of the house, okay? I'm not a guest, so you can can let your walls down, I'm part of the home, okay, here. And, you know, to get you to enter, to know me just a, a little better, let me show you my family. We just had a wedding last year. Our fourth son got married. This is Lisa. Lisa and I have been married 41 years this year. Uh, I, I would marry tomorrow, to her tomorrow in a heartbeat if I was given the opportunity. When we hit our 40th wedding anniversary, I said, let's do it again. I, I, I just wanna marry you. <laughs> she is my very best friend. My marriage goal is that I wanna be more, I want, excuse me, I want Lisa to be more in love with me the day she leaves this earth than the day we married. And my second major marriage goal is that I wanna be more in love with her than the day we married when I leave this earth. And so, we're on track for it, amen? And uh, these are our four sons, our daughter-in-laws, and our G-babies, I'm way too young to be grandpa, so it's G, Daddy, and G for short. And you will see Christian, our youngest son's wife, has her hand on her belly, that's because as he came, and this is Azariah, oh my gosh, I'm gonna preach so much better now. He is the first real Italian-looking baby we have in our family. I am very happy about that because I am more Italian than Lisa. Don't you ever let her tell you that she is more Italian than me. I am more Italian than her, even though she does have the citizenship. But anyway, that's my family. I am so in love with my family. And that helps me to understand how much God loves us because we're his big family. Can you say amen? Amen. This morning, I wanna to talk to you out of the newest book that I've written. It's up there on the platform. It's, uh, it was launched a month ago. It hit number nine actually on the Wall Street Journal. New York Times didn't put it on there even though the first top 14 hit it. Uh, that was because possibly God's on the title. I don't know. They, it's fine, it's their list. They can do whatever they want. But anyway, as long as it's on Jesus' bestseller, that's all I care about, amen. But an- anyway, I wanna to talk to you today about fear. But I wanna encourage you in fear. I'm not gonna be one of those that say, hey, no fear. Remember those T-shirts we wore in the 90s? No fear, no fear. Remember FDR said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And we have people on platforms all over America trying to get rid of fear. I got news for you. We're human beings and we're made to fear. He said, oh man, before you turn me off, just listen to me. The problem we've done is we put all fears into one bucket, and we call them destructive or harmful fears. That is absolutely a lie. There are two buckets. There are destructive fears, and there are constructive fears, because how many of you know fear produces wisdom, right? So the fear of being mauled by a grizzly bear will give me the wisdom not to mess with her cubs in front of her. I think that's pretty good wisdom, don't you? but I wanna talk about the constructive fear that is above all other fears and the fear that eradicates all unhealthy fears, and that is the healthy, holy fear of God. I've titled the book The Awe of God. Now, I wanna show you a couple of scriptures to introduce this, to show you the importance of why we need to talk about this. Isaiah 33, verse six, makes the statement that the fear of the Lord is God's treasure, would you just pause a minute? God's treasure? Okay, we protect treasure. We hire security systems. We don't mishandle our treasure. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. I'll explain it to you later. Number two, the fear of the Lord is Jesus' delight. Delight. Okay, stop and think about this. This is what he delighted in. And number three, the Apostle Paul says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We don't work out our salvation with love and kindness. We work it out with fear and trembling. So now let's stop and review. We're talking about God's treasure, Jesus' delight, and what matures our salvation. Why aren't we talking about it? more than we do. So first of all, let me start out. What is the fear of the Lord? First of all, let me say this. It is not to be scared of God. How can you have a relationship of intimacy with somebody you are scared of? And that is God's passion. He wants to have intimacy with you and me. Moses makes the statement. You know, when he delivers Israel out of Egypt, he brings them right to Mount Sinai where God appeared to them. And when God appeared, the people withdrew. And when Moses saw it, he made a statement in Exodus 20, 20, He said, hey, do not fear, because God has come to test you. What's the test? To see if his fear is in you, so that you may not sin. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Do not fear, because God's come to see if his fear is in you. What is he doing talking out of both sides of his mouth? He's not. He's actually differentiating between being scared of God and the fear of the Lord, There is a difference. The person who is scared of God is something to hide. What does Adam do when he sins against God? He hides from the presence of the Lord. The person who fears God has nothing to hide. That person is scared to be away from God. So if you want the first definition of the fear of the Lord is to be scared. No, actually I'm going to go one step further. It is to be terrified of being away from God. The person who fears God doesn't say, how close can I get to the line of sin and not fall in? The person who fears God says, I want so close to him I can't even see that line. So what is the holy awe or the holy healthy fear of God? It is when we venerate him or honor him or tremble, revere, esteem, respect, value him more than anything or anyone else. What is important to him becomes what's important to me. What is not so important to him is not so important to me. It is when we literally take on his heart and we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. You say, wait a minute, John, God hates? Oh yeah, he hates. Now let me show you the legalistic side. The legalist, and and isn't this interesting? The enemy is going to try to pervert anything that's important, okay? Let me, let me go on a little rabbit trail here. What's the only description of the church that Jesus is coming back for in the New Testament? There's only one. It's not a leadership church. I value leadership. I got that gift on my life. It's not a community church. Hey, God said it's not good at man's alone, but it's not a community church. It's not a relevant church. We better be relevant. We're not gonna li- lose, uh, win the loss. Paul said, I become all things, all people. But it's not a relevant church. The only description of the church that Jesus is coming back for is a holy church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And the only thing that perfects holiness is the fear of the Lord. Paul makes the statement, having the promise, this is 2 Corinthians chapter seven, verse one, write it down, having the promise of God's presence among us, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Not in the love of God, in the fear of God. Because the fear of God is how we work out or mature our salvation. I'll never forget when I was sitting across the table of one of the most famous people on the planet and he was famous for all the wrong reasons. He had the largest ministry in the world in the 1980s. He was arrested and sentenced in 1990. He's in his fourth year of prison. He had read one of my books, the first book I wrote, and he asked that I would come see him. I'm sitting across the table. And the first thing he said to me is, John, this prison wasn't God's judgment on my life. It was his mercy. He said, because if I continued the path that I was on, I would have ended up separated from God forever. I would have been in the lake of fire forever. Now, when he said that, it got my attention. And he shared his whole story. And after 20 minutes, I said, okay, when you started in ministry, when I first got saved, I watched you on TV. You you had such passion. You loved Jesus. You wept. You, You loved souls. I said, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? He said, John, I didn't. Now I got a little upset, now my walls went up. I said, what are you talking about? You committed adultery and I named the woman's name in 1983. I said, you did all this male fraud and all this stuff that got you in prison. You're telling me you love Jesus? He said, yes, John, I loved him all the way through it. And he sees the confusion on my face and he said, I didn't fear God. And he said, there are millions of American Christians just like me, John. They love Jesus, but they don't fear God. So let's show you the legalistic side of this. The legalist, and boy do I hate legalism, and so does God. The legalist says, I fear God, that's why I hate those sinners. No, you don't fear God at all. You have no fear of God because you hate what he loves. He loves those sinners so much that Jesus came and died for them. What he hates is the sin that unmakes what he loves. So that's why the Bible says, by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Not by the love of God. And the scripture says, if you look at Proverbs, all who fear the Lord will hate. Notice it's not dislike. Has that sunk in yet? All who fear the Lord will hate evil. That's why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverted speech. I'll never forget back in 1990, I was praying two hours every single morning. I'd get up at 4.45. I'd be outside my place of prayer because I pray outside. And I would pray till 7 in the morning, then be in the office by 8. But back in the 1990s when I preached, there was no power in my words. I mean, my words just seemed to fall to the ground. One day, I was a little frustrated, and I said, God, I don't get it. You called me to ministry. I pray two hours a day. Why isn't there more power in my words? And He said, because you tolerate sin. He said it so clear. I heard it. I said, what? He said, because you tolerate sin, not only in your life, but in the lives of others. He said, son, read Hebrews chapter one. So I go over to Hebrews chapter one, and this is when God the Father inaugurates Jesus to be king of the universe on the day he's raised from the dead. And God the Father says to Jesus, because... You have loved righteousness. The Holy Spirit said, son, every Christian loves righteousness. But I didn't stop there. Because you loved righteousness and hated, not disliked, hated sin. Therefore, God, even your God has anointed you more than your companions. He spoke to me and he said, you learn to hate sin the way I hate sin, and you'll see the anointing of God increase upon your life. So if you want to break down the fear of the Lord, and let's do it briefly, you can break down the healthy awe of God into two categories. Number one, to tremble at his presence. And number two, to tremble at his word. Let's look at the first category, to tremble at his presence. God makes a statement to his people. He says, hey, do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? If you'll remember Isaiah, when he sees the Lord, in his glory, at his throne room, he has to go, dude, there he is. The man upstairs, there he is. No, he's on his face, groveling, crying, woe is me, because he realized who it was he was serving, even though he was a godly man. John the apostle had breakfast with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. But John, when he saw Jesus in his glory on the deserted island of Patmos, he fell down like a dead man because his face shone like the sun. When Jesus returns, let me tell you something. He came as the lamb, he's coming as the lion, but when he returns, the light that comes because Paul said he dwells in 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 approachable light, who no man has seen or can see. And Paul made the statement at noon, King Agrippa, he said a light from heaven shone brighter than the sun. Oh my gosh, the Middle Eastern noonday sun. I've been to the Middle East. The noonday sun is so powerful. You got to have sunglasses. You ever wonder why Joel and Peter say that when Jesus returns, the sun is going to be turned to darkness? Why? Because the glory of sun is one level. Let's, let's look at this. The glory of the stars are another level. When the sun comes up in the morning, it darkens the stars, even though they're still shining. When Jesus returns, oh my God. The sun's gonna be darkened even though it's still shining. The moon's gonna still be reflecting even though it's still reflecting. It's not gonna be seen. The stars are not gonna be seen. Why? Because the glory of Jesus is so much greater than the glory of the sun. He's gonna darken it. And that's why the people of this earth are gonna cry out for the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of him who's coming. That's who we serve. That's why we should tremble at his presence. You know Psalm 89 verse seven makes this statement. God is to be greatly feared, not a little bit feared, greatly feared, in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. You'll never find God in an atmosphere where he's not held with the utmost of respect. I'll never forget when I learned this, back in 1997, for the first time I was asked to the nation of Brazil and I happened to be asked to speak to their national conference and I remember coming into the arena. It wasn't an auditorium, it was an arena. And they put me on the platform. I hated those days when they put preachers on the platform during worship. That was weird. Anyway, you feel like a spectacle. So anyway, but, but I was glad that time because the whole place, it's a believer's conference. It's packed and there's no presence of God. What do I mean by presence of God? There's two types of his presence. There's his omnipresence that he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But there's his manifest presence that's when he reveals himself to our senses. Jesus said, "I will manifest myself to you." That's when God reveals himself to our senses. There's no manifest presence. And I remember closing my eyes on the platform and going and I said, "Lord, where's your presence?" And I opened my eyes and I saw things I didn't notice before. I saw people standing around during the worship, their hands in their pocket, looking around as if they were disinterested. I saw people with their arms crossed. I saw people walking around, high-fiving each other, saying hello to their neighbor. And then I saw them walking in and out of the arena to the concession stands all around the arena, getting their tacos and and, and they're fumbling through their purses. And and I'm like, whoa, this is weird. So So I'm like, I'm thinking it'll stop, but it doesn't. The worship set's over. And now because there's no music, you can hear the low mutter of the people, all the people talking. And then all of a sudden the leader comes up and begins to read from the word of God. And you can still hear people talking, still see people moving around. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He said, son, you gotta deal with this. I said, I know, but how? How do I even get their attention? So they introduced me, right? And I come up and I just stare at them. I don't say a word for like 60 seconds. Now, when you're the Friday night guest speaker at the national conference and you're just sitting there glaring at people, it will get their attention. And I remember everybody stopped talking. The noise went down to zip. The place got quiet. People stopped moving around. And these are the first words I ever spoke in public in Brazil. I said, I have a question. You're sitting talking to somebody sitting across the table from you. And the whole time you're talking to them, they got their arms crossed looking around. They got their hands in their pocket as if disinterested. Or they're whispering to somebody sitting next to them, will you continue to speak to them? No. I said, I have been in this arena for an hour and there isn't a drop of the presence of God because God will never come into a place where he's not held with the utmost of respect. I said, if your president would have walked on this platform tonight, you would have given him 10 times the respect you did the spirit of God. I said, if Pele, your, 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 your most famous soccer player in the history of Brazil would have walked on this platform tonight, you would have been on the edge of your seats anticipating every word he said. I said, you've given no respect to the Spirit of God. And I preached to him for 75 minutes on the fear of the Lord. When I was done, I said, "If and this is a believer's conference, I said, if you're in here and you say, I believe in Jesus, but I lack the fear of God, and I said, you're willing to repent, stand up. 75% of the arena immediately stands their feet. Like, immediately. As soon as they did, the presence of God came in. I thought, well, we didn't even pray yet. But then I started thinking about the prodigal son. He didn't pray a word. He just said, I've been an idiot. And he started home and his dad came running with gifts. I thought, whoa, look at the love of God right now in demonstration. They haven't even prayed. The presence was so wonderful, people crying. I led him in a prayer of repentance. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He said, I'm coming one more time and I'll never forget this as long as I live. There's no way I can describe it, but I'm gonna try. But imagine yourself standing at the end of a runway and a Boeing jet takes off. That kind of a violent wind came blowing into that arena. Now, we didn't feel the wind, we heard it. And when it did, the people erupted. Now, can you imagine thousands of Brazilians screaming? The wind was louder. And I remember I am standing on this platform and I am petrified, okay? I'm gonna be really honest with you. I am petrified, yet I'm drawn to it. It's, I know it sounds counterintuitive and you'll never understand it until you experience it. The authority of that presence was frightening, but yet I'm drawn to it. And I remember the thoughts go through my mind. Vavir, you say one wrong word. You make one wrong move, you're dead. Now, would that have happened? I don't know, but it did happen with a man and a wife who brought an offering with irreverence in that kind of presence in their church service in Acts chapter five, and they both died and they buried them the same day. I knew irreverence wouldn't be tolerated in this atmosphere. I knew daddy didn't come in, the king came in. And I'm standing there and for 90 seconds this wind is blowing, people are screaming. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm, 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 I'm just goosebumps all over my body. And it subsides and it leaves in its way, people collapsed all over the arena, weeping. And I'm like, God, what do I do, what do I do? I'm standing there for like five minutes silence. What do i do what do i do lord finally spoke to my heart he said son i'm through with you so i said to leader it's all yours (laughs) and uh they they whisked me out to the car they put me in the car they put the national singer she was the soloist that night in the car with her husband she goes did you hear the wind i said maybe it was a jet aircraft flew too low above the building she goes what are you talking about i saw fire all around the building and she's like she's brazilian right i mean we italians and brazilians we express ourselves and so um her husband calmed her down. He said, sir, that was no jet airplane. I said, how do you know? He said, because there were security men and policemen all around the arena. He said, most of them aren't even saved. They're union workers. He said, they came running in saying, what's the sound of the wind? He said, I'm standing at the soundboard to make sure my wife's volumes are right. He said, I'm looking at the decimal meters the whole time the wind's blowing, and they're at zero. Not one ounce of the sound of that wind came through our sound system. I remember sitting on my balcony worshiping until 1.30 in the morning. I was awe, oh, awe. Oh. My life has never been the same since. In fact, 20 years later, I go down to speak to 20,000 pastors, excuse me, 12,000 pastors in Guayana, Brazil. And when I get out, and I'm the first pastor, leading pastor I meet, he goes, I was in the building 20 years ago, this is 2016, 1997, when that wind blew and my life's never been the same. I'm telling you, when you encounter his glory, his presence, it changes you. God God makes a statement. He says, by those who come near me, I must. There are the should-bes of Scripture. There are the must-bes. You're wise to heed those should-bes. You are a fool to reject the must-bes. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. I remember, you know, one day, I, I used to struggle to get into the presence of God, so one day I just by accident... I don't pray, I don't sing, I don't... I I just go out and I just start thinking about the awesomeness of my father. And I started thinking, wow, he put the stars in the universe with his fingers. He called everyone by name. He measured the entire universe with the span of his hand from his thumb to his pinky. He measured it. He weighed every drop of water on the planet in the palm of his hands. And all of a sudden, bam, there's his presence. And I went, ooh. So the next day I thought, I'm gonna try it again. There's his presence again. Third day, I tried it again. Happened again. Third day I said, Holy Spirit, what's up with this? I used to struggle to get into your presence, and now it's so easy. And he said, "Son, how did Jesus teach his disciples to pray?" And I started reciting the prayer: "Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed. gosh, hallowed be thy name." There it is, right there. Jesus, you taught your disciples you have to come in to the presence of God with holy awe. I was in Malaysia two years after Brazil. This was 1999. This is another national conference. It's an auditorium, not an arena. Again, the presence of God comes in, again. No wind this time, but the authority is greater. The presence is stronger. And I remember when this one happened, my head started saying, I can't handle this. My heart said, God, please don't lift, don't lift, don't lift. I again had the thought, you say one wrong word, you make one wrong move, you're dead. I'm not kidding, it was real. And I remember during that, it lasted five minutes this time. I remember out of my mouth comes words that my mind had never thought of before. I said, this is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And all of a sudden my head went, oh my gosh, that's it. I'd never thought of this before. That's one of the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Jesus. Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And look at this, his delight was in it. I thought this is one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I remember when that meeting was over. The, the, the leaders, a nationally known leader in, in, in Malaysia, is very respected and, and people had come from all over the nation. He, he walks up, this is the last meeting too. He goes, he goes you know, we, 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 we were scheduled, we normally do a song, I can't do a song. Since the service is over. You stay as long as you want. People just stayed, right? Finally, after a while, I'm walking out and I'm towards the back of the auditorium and I get met by this Indian couple. They're they're students in the Bible school in Kuala Lumpur. And, 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 And we're just looking at each other and we have no words. We're just looking at each other. And she breaks the silence and says, I feel so clean inside. I said, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Clean, you just described what I sensed in Brazil, in California, and North Carolina. Yeah, I've, had, I've had it happen a handful of times. I said, I feel clean. I, can't, I, I went back to the hotel that night, I thought, clean, clean, she nailed it. Next morning, I'm getting ready to play basketball with the Bible school students in Kuala Lumpur and I'm putting on my gym shorts, right, to go play ball. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and said, son, read Psalm 19. I have no idea what's in Psalm 19. So I start reading verse one, verse two, verse three, verse four, then I get to verse nine. The fear of the Lord is clean. I went, oh my gosh, there it is. And then look look at the next statement, enduring forever. Right there in that hotel room, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and said, son, Lucifer led worship right before my throne. He beheld my glory. He was anointed to do so. I mean, Isaiah falls on his face. He sees big, massive seraphim. They're covering their face because his glory is so magnificent. But Lucifer's anointed to lead worship. He said, son, he didn't fear me. He did not endure forever. He said, a third of the angels surrounded my throne and beheld my glory. They did not fear me. They did not endure forever. He said, Adam and Eve walked in the presence of my glory in the Garden of Eden. They did not fear me. They did not endure in the garden forever. He said, every created being that surrounds my throne throughout eternity will be tested in the holy fear of God. I walked out of that, and then I started thinking, there are pastors that started in ministry, ministers that started in ministry. They love God, they love people, but they didn't endure in ministry. Why? They didn't fear God. Jesus talks continually. He who endures to the end, he who endures the end. Paul writes, if you continue What gives us that staying power? What gives us longevity? It's called the holy fear of God, not the love of God. The evangelist told me, he said, I love Jesus. I lost my position because I didn't fear God. You still here? It's quiet in the Methodist church right now. Are you with me? Okay, I just want to make sure. You breathing? Keep breathing. All right, let's go to number two. No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I'm not. No, 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 no. Here's one of the greatest burdens I carry, and this is causing me, a 64-year-old man, to do an awe of God tour all across the United States. Barna came out with a study, and they discovered 23 million Americans have walked away from the faith in the last 20 years. 23 million. Do you know what, those 23 million are now professing agnostics, atheists, and spiritualists. These are people who prayed regularly and attended church regularly you know that 23 million is one out of every 14 Americans? We're not talking about one out of every 14 people who went to church. We are talking about one out of every 14 Americans have walked away from the faith. Paul prophesied it. He said, that day will not come except the apostasy comes first, unless the predicted great falling away of those who have professed to be Christians. But what Paul didn't write is he didn't say they wouldn't come back. And just as John the Baptist was raised up to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I believe God's raising up sons and daughters, men servants and maid servants who will have an anointing on their life to go after the lost sheep in the house of the church. And that's who I'm targeting. That's who I want us to target because that's who God is targeting. We got to call those sheep home. So the second aspect of holy fear is to tremble at his word. You know, Israel was in a time when they were selectively obeying God. Does this sound familiar? Well, obey if it doesn't interfere with my agenda or my schedule or my pleasure. That's Israel. And God finally comes to them and says, hey, your lamb sacrifices, because they're offering lamb sacrifices, bull sacrifices, grain offerings, right? God says, your lamb sacrifices are offering pig's blood in my eyes. That's the most offensive thing you could say to a Jew. And God says it to him. Your lamb sacrifices in my eyes are like you're offering pig's blood to me because you are selectively obeying me. And God said, but this is the one that I'm going to look at. This is the one I'm going to pay attention to. That's what it actually means. On him who is poor, or I should say humble, contrite, and who trembles at my word. What does it mean to tremble at God's word? It means we obey him instantly. You know how some people say, well, you know that been dealing with me about this now for several months and they laugh you are bragging about your lack of godly fear i mean really don't make it cute you lack the fear of god david said i will hurry to obey your commands in psalm 119 it means we'll obey god even if it doesn't make sense God ever told you to do something that doesn't make sense? Does it make sense to forgive somebody who has really hurt you? Does it make sense to bless somebody who has cursed you? They've lied about you and you lost your job. Are you gonna bless them? Does that make sense? I think we should move on on that one. Number three, it means you obey God even if it hurts. Jesus obeyed God to the point of death. Peter says, as Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. Religion seeks out suffering to please the God, little g, it serves. Christianity says, I'm going to obey God in a fallen world, and therefore, because it's a fallen world, and its flow is against the kingdom, I'm going to suffer. But I'm still going to obey. It means we'll obey God even if we don't see a benefit. You know what's really sad? In order to get Western Christians to obey God, you got to show them the benefit. If you pray, God will do this. If you give, God will do this. If you serve, God will do this. Does God do this, this, and this? Absolutely. But if that's our motive, we're gonna miss him. Because was there any benefit to Esther to risk her neck and go before the king? She had everything a woman could, could desire. If that king doesn't point the scepter at her, her head comes off. She had everything to lose and nothing to gain, but she obeyed God. She said, I'm going before the king, and if I die, I die. She feared God. She didn't have to see the benefit. To tremble at his word means we obey to completion. Saul, King Saul, does 99.99% of what God told him to do. God said he's disobeyed me and he lost his kingdom. Well, can't you look at the 99.99% that I did do? No, that's not the way God sees it. You gotta remember. See, this, this brings me to tears in my morning prayer. I think about Jesus, I think, Okay, you are God manifesting in the flesh. You left what I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. You left, and you came into a cursed world. You put on a body, and you knew that you're gonna get lied about, dishonored. You're gonna be shamed. You're gonna be spit on in the face. You're gonna be slugged in the mouth. You're gonna have your beard plucked out. You're gonna have thorns shoved in your head and then they're going to scourge you and Isaiah already tells it beforehand people are not even going to recognize you as a human being when they're done beating you up he knows this and then you're going to a cross and you're going to drain every drop of blood in your body and this is our creator who chooses to do this because he loves us so much and you think he's coming back for a bride that's only given herself partly to him you are so deceived if you do Some of you just prayed a sinner's prayer. Yet they got all the world still in their heart. They love the world. You are so deceived. You can find plenty of preachers who will let you do that, but the scripture won't. Scripture says he's a jealous God. He's a holy God. You gotta remember, he wasn't revealed first as the God of love. Yes, he is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. But he is first revealed in his blazing holiness. And in the center of that holiness is his love. The angels aren't crying out love, love, love. They are crying holy because holy is the attribute of his characteristic that stands out above all else. Now, let me talk about the benefits of the fear of God just for a minute. There are over 40 distinct benefits in scripture that I found in 30 years of studying this. this. This book is my life message. Pastor Billy Joe, when he used to introduce me, I don't know if you remember this Sharon, he said, no matter how you squeeze John Bevere, doesn't matter if he's preaching undercover bait of Satan, when you squeeze him, the fear of God comes out. I'll never forget that as long as I live. We'll laugh about it in heaven together, me and Billy Joe, will laugh. But I found over 40 distinct promises, only made to those who fear God. The first and the greatest of all these promises is an intimate friendship with God. To me that's the greatest of all and if that's all there was. The Bible says, "The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him." And with them he will show his covenant. The, the, the word secret actually is secrets, plural in the Hebrew. So the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him. Now, let me ask you. You have secrets in your life. Remember, all secrets aren't bad. There there are some that are good. You have secrets in your life. Who do you share your secrets with? Acquaintances or intimate, close friends? Intimate, close friends, not acquaintances. God's no different. God says, I share my secrets, my intimate, close friends. And by the way, those intimate, close friends, they're the ones that fear me. Let me prove to you I'm not taking the scripture out of context. Look at it in the New Living Translation. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them... He shares his secrets. Who is the first man or person that is called the friend of God in the Bible? It's Abraham. Why? Because when Abraham's old, God comes to him one night and says, Abe, yes, yes, Lord, yes. Abe, you know uh, your son that you waited for for 25 years, who you love deeply, who is more important to you than anything or anyone else? Yeah, yeah. I want you to go on a three-day journey and sacrifice him. <laughs> did, did you just hear what was said to him? He didn't, he didn't say, if you sacrifice him, I'll send my son and sacrifice my son. He said, go sacrifice him. Doesn't give him a reason. And Abraham does not have Genesis to read, so stop it. Stop thinking about you know the end of the story. He's never read Genesis. Can you imagine that night? But you know what my Bible says? Early the next morning. (laughs) Well, the Lord's been dealing with me about this now for several months. Early the next morning. Abraham gets up. He saddles his donkey. He's on his way. Now, God gives him a three-day journey. Why? It's a little easier when you heard the booming voice of God the night before. But what about two and a half days when heaven's been totally silent? And now you're looking at the mountain, you're gonna put the most important person or thing to death in your life just because God said do it and didn't give you a reason. Abraham goes to the top of the mountain, builds the altar. Can you imagine the emotional stress? Here's your 13-year-old son helping you build the altar. You're gonna run a knife through him on. He ties up Isaac, lifts the knife, is ready to put the most important person or thing to death in his life just because God said do it and didn't give him a reason. And the angel of the Lord suddenly appears and says, Abraham, stop, because now I know that you fear God. How did the angel know that Abraham feared God? Because he obeyed instantly, because he obeyed when it didn't make sense, because he obeyed when it hurt, because he obeyed when he didn't see a benefit, and because he obeyed to completion. (laughs) Abraham puts down the knife, unties Isaac. Can you imagine the joy? (laughs) Unties Isaac, and he lifts his eyes, and there's a ram caught in the thicket, and out of Abraham comes this, Jehovah, Jireh. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham nobody had ever known before, because he's my friend. Okay, let me make sure you're getting this. You all know me as John Bevere communicator. Some of you know me as John Bevere author, but there is a lady, and whoa, she is a lady. I showed you her picture. She knows me as John Bevere G Dad, John Bevere Dad, John Bevere Athlete, John Bevere hu- Husband. Uh, can I say, none of you will ever know me as John Bevere Husband? That is a facet of my personality that she will only know. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham nobody would ever known before because he's my friend. And look at the relationship between God and Abraham. It is amazing. One day the Lord says, should we do what we're planning on doing to Sodom and Gomorrah without first talking to our friend Abraham? So God comes down with two angels at the trees, and the two angels go down to the plains and God and Abraham walk over to the cliff and God looks at Abraham. They're looking at the plains of Jordan. God says, Abe, we're thinking about blowing up these two cities, what do you think? Abraham goes, Sodom? And the Lord goes, yeah, 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 and Gomorrah. What, what do you think? Abraham goes, think, think, think. Okay, my nephew, Lot's over there. Lot's over there. Okay, okay, God, you wouldn't like blow up the two cities if there were 50 righteous people. The Lord goes, excellent, excellent. Okay, we will not blow up the cities if there's 50 righteous people. I'm glad we talked to our friend Abraham. Abraham thinks, what if there isn't 50? Okay, Lord, wait a minute. What about if there's 45? Would you blow it up if there's 45? The Lord goes, another good idea okay, we will not blow up the city if there's 45. Now, Abraham talks them all the way down to 10. He figures there's gotta be 10. Lot's one, all he needs is nine others. But there isn't. There isn't 10. There's only one. Lot. Now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Sodom and Gomorrah, buying, selling, trading, marrying, giving, and marriage, planting, and harvesting. What's that? What does that mean in today's language? Life is great. The economy's booming. And if there is a God, he doesn't mind our lifestyle. He doesn't mind our lewdness. Because we're blessed. Our economy's booming. They're 24 hours away from being obliterated, and they're clueless. That is not what's scary. This is what's scary. Lot. Everybody say Lot. lot. Who the Bible calls righteous. Second Peter chapter 1, look it up. Okay, let me put it in today's terminology saved. Born again. Christian. Lot is 24 hours away from being obliterated as well. He's as clueless as the world. It takes two messengers of mercy, two angels, because Abraham prayed, thank God Abraham prayed, to get him out. Now here's two righteous men. Here's two saved men. Here's two born-again men, two Christian men. One righteous, saved, born-again man knows what God's gonna do before he does it and helps God decide how he's gonna do it. The other righteous, saved, born-again man is as clueless as the world. Why? This righteous saved born-again man fears God. Therefore, he's the friend of God. Therefore, God shares the secrets. This righteous saved born-again man does not fear God. Therefore, he's not the friend of God. Therefore, he does not know the secrets. Well, John, I'm a New Testament believer. Why don't you look at what Jesus said? Jesus said, you are my friends if. Now, what's amazing, put that scripture up. If is the condition. I mean, we make Jesus our buddy just off of that one scripture without reading the word if. If means, if you don't fulfill the condition, this ain't happening. He said, you are my friends if, if what, Jesus? You do whatever I command you. There it is, the fear of the Lord trembling at his word. You know what Jesus is saying? Not everybody in the church is my close friend. There are people in the church like Lot and there are people in the church like Abraham. You choose. You embrace holy fear, you're a friend of God. You don't, you might be righteous, but you better hope somebody's praying for you like Abraham was praying for Lot. You still here? Got even quieter in this Anglican church. Those that fear the, fear the Lord are promised. Listen, listen, listen to some of the promises longevity, a good posterity. It says your generations will be blessed, it says your descendants will be mighty on the earth. You want to know how to secure the safety of your children? Fear God. I could go on and on. The fear of the Lord is what eradicates all other fears, especially the big one the fear of man. You'll serve who you fear. You fear God, you'll serve him and obey him. You fear man, you'll serve and obey man. And the fear of man is just like the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean you're scared of people. It just means you wanna please them. And that's a trap. Let me go to the, to the one that most people talk about, but they don't complete the story. And I'm gonna end on this, so don't miss. This is probably one of the most important things I'm gonna say in these next few minutes all morning. As we know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalms tells us that, Proverbs tells us that. It is the beginning. The word beginning means it's the starting place. It's the same word, Hebrew word beginning used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the fear of the Lord is the starting place of the wisdom of God. Now, you may think you have wisdom, but you don't have wisdom unless you fear God because that's the starting place. That's why we got professors in universities that are sending people loony teaching them to be loony. And God says they profess to be wise, but really they're fools because they lack the fear of God. Read it in Romans chapter one. That's the chapter people avoid nowadays. You still with me? But now we stop right there. We say it's the beginning of wisdom, but we don't continue the story because Proverbs 14 tells us the fear of the Lord, now look at this, is a fountain of life. The word fountain, do you know what it means? It means a continual flowing source. The fear of the Lord is a continual flowing source of life to turn one away from the traps of death. Okay, hold on a minute here. No, 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 go back, go back, go back, go back. Go back, yeah, there you go, thank you. Okay, let's stay on this. Trap. Anybody in here hunt? Let me see your show of hands. Anybody hunt? Okay, specifically, have you ever trapped? Anybody in here ever trapped? Correct me if I'm wrong. A trap needs two things. It needs to be camouflaged or hidden. and needs to be baited. The traps of death are camouflaged and baited. This is really riveting when you really stop and think about this. The fear of the Lord. Now you can go to that. You can go to that verse. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. What kind of life? Well, it's the instruction of wisdom. So let's let's put this all together. Those two verses together. Now you can go to the next one. The fear of the Lord is a fountain, a continual flow of the instruction of God's wisdom. It turns us away from the traps of death. Oh my gosh. Now, I'm gonna be evangelistic. 95% of the time you're operating in the wisdom of God, you don't even realize it. Let me prove it to you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about a man who had no relationship with God, but he feared God. You get it? Do you know you can fear God and not have a relationship with him? Cornelius was a devout. Remember, he was the centurion in Acts chapter 10. He was devout, which means he feared God. But it took an angel telling him to go send for Peter so he could get saved. Got it? I'm gonna talk about a man in the Old Testament, his name is Abimelech, he's found in Genesis 20, he's the king of Gerar. Abraham and Sarah come into Gier. Sarah's gorgeous. Abraham presents her as his sister. Abimelech goes, there's an available girl right there, brings her into his harem. God comes to Abimelech in a dream, and God says, you are a dead man. Because the woman you have is another man's wife. Got it? Abimelech goes, Lord, I didn't know, I didn't know. Are you gonna destroy an innocent man, an innocent nation? Look what God's reply to him was in the dream. I know, I know you're innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me and why I did not let you touch her. The fear of the Lord was a continual flowing source of wisdom that protected him from the deception, the trap of death that Abraham put before him. Now, can you answer this? How can a man sit in church and hear the word of God for 20 years and end up in a bed with another man's wife? It's not rocket science. He doesn't fear God. How can a pastor or a minister preach the word of God for 20 years and end up in bed with another man's wife? It's not rocket science. He doesn't fear God. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. It's his gift to us that matures our salvation, that keeps us on the path until the end. And yet we don't talk about it, but we're gonna start talking about it. Because God spoke to me 30 years ago and he said the final move of my spirit on the earth, the final move. You know, I look at the Jesus revolution. If you haven't seen the movie, you better go see it. It's so good. The Jesus revolution covered the United States and it revealed that God was a good God. He was our daddy and he loved us. God spoke to me 30 years ago and he says, the next move that covers the whole earth of my spirit will emphasize the holy, healthy fear of God. And it's what's going to prepare the bride to be a holy bride that Jesus is coming back for. So get ready, because you're gonna start hearing about it a lot. And just as the writer of Proverbs writes, embrace the fear of the Lord all day long. It will protect you in the hours when it seems dark. Paul writes to the Philippian church, he says, Live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. You ever wonder why some people it's a drudgery to obey God and other people it's a delight? Simple. That person doesn't fear God, that person does. Embrace the fear of the Lord all day long. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I have preached what you've commanded me to preach. And I thank you so much for your great love for us that you would give us such a treasure.
2: It's the holy, healthy fear of God.
1: With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, The Bible says that Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. And Paul the apostle writes in Ephesians 5 that an illustration of the way to have a genuine relationship with your creator is the illustration of a marriage between a man and a woman. When a woman puts on a white dress, she actually communicates something pretty significant. She says goodbye to about 3.9 billion guys. This is the one and only man I'm gonna give my entire heart and life to. You know, when I got engaged to Lisa 42 years ago, If she would have looked at me and said, you know, John, Tony was my high school sweetheart. We dated for two and a half years. and I'd like a couple nights with him a year. Peter, I was pinned to Peter in college. I'd like a week with him a year, but you will be my favorite. I will love you more than Peter and Tony. I'll spend 90% of my time with you. I would not have married her. And if we think the groom, Jesus, who gave his life fully and completely for his bride, is coming back for a bride that has only given part of her heart to him, We are so deceived. And the lack of the fear of the Lord has taught us that. He's coming back for a bride that has given herself to him the way he gave himself to her. Make no mistake about it. Some of you in here this morning, you know, you know you haven't done what that bride does. You know, you're sitting there and you know it. You still got boyfriends, you still got Tony and Peter there. It might be the things that drove the nails right into Jesus' hand. It might be, it is. It might be the right to your own opinion, the right to do whatever I want. It might be the right for me to look at pornography because most of the other guys do it. You tolerate it. You don't hate it. Believe me, Lisa made mistakes after we got married that didn't break our marriage covenant but she sure didn't develop relationship with guys after we got married. She was a faithful bride. And Jesus is coming back for a faithful bride. So don't sit there in your own seat and deceive your own heart. You got boyfriends you haven't broken up with. You know what I'm talking about. You're talking about those sins you haven't repented of. You haven't developed a hatred for them. You tolerate them. And you say, you know what, John? I don't want that. I want Jesus he's worth it, he's worth it, he's worth it. I'm breaking up with all those boyfriends, I'm repentant of them right now, those sins right now I've tolerated. And I'm gonna hate evil with the holy fear of God. Hey, if you fall seven times, he'll forgive you. We're talking about your attitude, your outlook towards it. If you say, John, truth be told, I've tolerated I've not done what that bride does and I wanna do it right now. If that's you, stand up, I wanna pray for you. You say, John, I wanna give him my entire life. Stand up right now, I wanna pray for you. No bride's ever been ashamed of her groove. Don't sit there and look around and see if other people are standing. If you're the only one standing, please stand up. If you're sitting and you wanna be standing, will you ask yourself, what is more valuable in this earth than a relationship with my creator for eternity? Will you just ask yourself, is that boyfriend worth it? All right, if you're standing, I want you to break up with your boyfriends at your seat. And I want you to get on the aisle, and I want you to come down. I want to pray for you. Come on, move out into the aisle, and come on down. And let's give them a hand. Hey, I'm so proud of you. Look up at me. You're forgiven. Come on, come on close, come on close. Come on, there's a lot of people behind you. Come on, come on, guys. Come on, come on all the way down. Come on, come on. No, 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 come here. Ma'am, ma'am, tell help her. Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come, keep coming, keep coming. There's a lot of people behind you. A little softer on the on, on the music. I like it, but a little softer. Okay, look look up at me, please look up at me. Why do you have such sad looks on your face? This is like, the. you ever see a bride go down an aisle with the look on your face that you've got? This is like, if you could see Jesus right now, you will see a big, big smile on his face. His eyes are dancing with joy. I mean, man, he already died for you. How do you think he's responding to you, responding to him and saying, I mean, when, when Lisa said yes to me, I was like, wow! I went out and shouted at everybody. I told her, she said yes, she said yes. Jesus is running around heaven going, he said yes, he said yes, he said yes, she said yes, he said yes, he said yes. And they're having a party. Why are you looking so sad? Come on, come on. Notify your face that you're making the greatest decision you've ever made in your life, seriously. See, if you you close your eyes, Holy Spirit, please show them. Please give them a glimpse of the face of Jesus. Close your eyes, open up the eyes of your heart right now. I guarantee you don't see a disgusted look. I guarantee you you see the biggest smile. There's his presence right there. We haven't even prayed. He's already beginning to bless you. He's already here. Amazing. Here he is. The rest of you stand. The presence of God is in this place. Lift up your hands if you're wise. If you're in here and you'd say, John, I, I am a Christian, but I like the fear of God, and I want to Put up those hands high. I want you to pray this with me, everybody. Everybody pray this out loud. Say it. Is it say, say it. Mean it. Say, God in heaven,
2: thank you for speaking to me today. Please forgive me. I've lived life my way. Apart from you,
1: I'm so sorry. Today, that's ending. This day, I give my spirit, soul, and body. Everything I am, everything I have, to you, Jesus. You're my bridegroom. You're my Lord and King.
2: It's getting stronger. With your hands lifted up say, "Thank you for forgiving me. I'm cleansed. I'm clean." presence right there, right there. Wow, he's here. He's here.
1: Master, I'm asking you to baptize these men and women in the fire of God. (laughs) Baptize them in the fire of the living God. There's his presence right there, all throughout this auditorium. He's here. Unga zutarista. vrod mai jongande. Vri zutarenda zundo ramunde gifra. Kroshtomanika. Vres somre manitista. Ambankre non zembrestika. Shanevaripa Zoprat Noka noca zonde rita zamreste frista hakanist fray nya maxtom rindombros brita rebinda azotor benishande avarishoda medeke vrambangon san grande Frabande zatika lo shabbanda revestare that shapre Jingga zuto rozi levefe menesta rondofe zibrande zitore lobo zuto rudo zini natoya zebenista. Zavrande jipa dokonne zamrene. Jakai Vrato Mexica Fire 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 May it burn May it burn Make them into ministers of fire Protect them with the wall of your fire. You've come to send fire on the earth and it has been kindled. From now on, a man's enemies will be those of his own house. Father against daughter, mother against son. Those who have chosen to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me shall be ridiculed, insulted, persecuted. But I will confirm my covenant and I will hide you in the secret place of my presence, in the pavilion of my protection, free from the strife of tongues, because you're mine and I've placed my seal upon you this day. Now just lift up your hands one more time, and I want you to
2: thank Him for what He's done. Just thank Him. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus.
1: There's his presence right there. He's healing people right now. Right now, diseases are literally shriveling away by the fire of the living God. Right now, tumors are shriveling. There's his presence on you. Somebody's knees being healed right now by the power of God. Your right foot's being healed. I don't know what's wrong. Somebody's being healed of arthritis in their hands and their fingers. The fire of God is burning through your intestines right now, my sister and my brother, both. And you are now going to be able to eat again what you know is good and healthy. The fire of the living God is healing your body.
2: There's his presence right there. There's his presence right there. Most holy, most worthy, righteous, mighty, almighty. Jesus, 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 Jesus. One more time, I want you to throw up your hands and and I want you to, in your words, thank him for what he's done for you today.
1: I know, um, I don't think he's done yet and I don't believe I'm going to grieve his presence. I, I've got to, I've got a flight I've got to catch. I want you, I want you to listen, just, just keep your hands up and, and, and I'm going to let Paul close this out, but I want to say this, we're going to come back to this building on May the 19th. Kim Walker Smith and her band is going to be driving their bus in here, I'm going to be here. When this begins to happen, we're not going to be on a time limit that night. And I believe God is going to do amazing things. It's a tour that we're doing, and Pastor Paul has graciously made the building available to us. I want to say this. You can get the tickets for that night out there. There's four different ways you can get the tickets. You can come in as a VIP, come in early. I'm going to just do a Q&A. Come in early. You can get the regular ticket, but everybody that gets those three tickets, get a book. So we have the books out there. You can't buy them today. Just get a ticket. But here's what I'm really hoping. Please hear my heart. And this is why I chose to interrupt this. What I'm really hoping is a lot of you catch the importance of this night. I'm after those 23 million guys. I want to, I want to, I, I, I just, I came home weeping from prayer a couple months ago and i looked at lisa and i said all i want to do is altar calls I said, just all i want to do is alter calls i want to see the backslidden come back my heart burns for this can you partner with me can we do this together you can buy if you get four more tickets you they, they discount it transparent's doing the whole thing not us this is transparent productions out of california but we talked them into the fact of discounting so that people can bring the lost, the people that have never heard the gospel. One lady says, I'm gonna buy dozens of tickets and I'm gonna gonna give them to people that can't afford them. I thought that was great, but I wanna see you invite people that were one of those 20, a bunch of those 23 million. Get them in here. If you, let me tell you, you got touched by this today, what's going to happen when they're in here? Okay. So we're setting it all up. We're doing a lot of work. We've been praying months as a team, months for these nights. Okay. Friday night, May the 19th. So I'm going to leave it at that. Victory has got the tickets out there. They'll hand you your book so you can start reading the book. I love you guys. I don't. You you continue do whatever you need to do, whatever Paul instructs you to do. I'm going to go catch a flight. I love you.
0: Come on, church. Let's just worship just for a moment. presence today thank you. Hey I pray that message encouraged you inspired you and challenged you to take another step in your walk with God to take another step in your pursuit towards God's plan for your life maybe you're asking yourself today what do I do next what should I do with this sermon how do I get connected more with victory I'm glad you asked even if you didn't Let me encourage you with this, if you haven't subscribed to our channel, hit subscribe today. Become a weekly attender online of victory. Get the word inside you, fill up on it. Next thing I would encourage you to do, become a weekly contributor in what God's doing through this ministry. You could be a part of giving in our online ministry at victory.com. You can download our Victory app, it's really simple. My wife and I do the same thing. We give through the Victory app. You can text to give right there from your phone, 28950. You can just text the word victory and whatever amount you decide to do. You might ask Paul, "Why, why should I give? Here's the important part of why we give. If all we do is just receive good content, good content, good content, good content, good content, good sermons, good preaching, but we never give out, we're missing out on one of the key ingredients to walking out a life of victory. It's not just about receiving, it's about giving, it's about contributing into the kingdom of God and when you give, you're giving towards lives that are being changed all over the world. Victory is a church that's not only serving our city, but we're serving nations across the earth and we have missions trips, all kinds of different things. Another next step you could make is maybe you live near Tulsa. If you're ever in our state, come and join us for a service live right here. Also on our website at victory.com, you'll find out opportunities to be a part of some of those missions trips that I was talking about to other countries, coming and being part of our outreaches right here in our city, the Tulsa Dream Center, serving in the church, Maybe you live in another country and you've been thinking, what if I was to start a victory group in my house and and maybe a, a watch party where you watch the church service and then you pull people in and you help disciple them. We would love that. Whatever the next step is for you, my encouragement is take that next step. Start by getting connected with us here, reach out to us, send us an email, tell us how the message spoke to you what God's speaking in your heart to do, what that next step looks like for you, you can email us at info@victory.com. That's info@victory.com, Or you can message us on social media, right there, either on YouTube or on Instagram, on our Facebook page, on Twitter. You'll find it all at Victory Tulsa. That's our handle on all the social media accounts. Again, thanks for watching the message today. We love you, we're praying for you. Never forget, your best days are still right in front of you.